Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! A happy new year to you and yours, and welcome back once again to the final broadcast of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread for the 2018 football season. And with that, it's with a tear in the eye that we mentioned that because the NFL football playoffs are right around the corner. The college football bowl games are now in the history books. And with that, I'm going to welcome our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports onto the show. And Victor, before we get into the show, how was your New Year's Eve and your New Year's Day? Well, first off, I know while you have a tear in your eye, Mark, we'll get on to that in a minute. A good finish of the NFL regular season for our totals team we always like uh, closing the season with a winner in the very, very last game. And we did hit that on Sunday night with the uh, Colts-Titans game over the total, a play that we had as a three-star selection to close the season. However, today on Wednesday, as we record the podcast, I am bumming a little bit. We had our college bowl game of the year on New Year's Day. It did lose. It was on over the total in the Georgia-Texas game. We... Didn't expect Georgia to get beat down like the like they were by the Texas Longhorns. They only scored 21 points. Again, a loser for our totals team. We always have high expectations. We're always hungry. We do, however, understand that in this business, we're going to lose 40 to 45% of the time and still have a successful season. So uh, I'm getting over that. We're going to be just fine heading down the road. But we do got to talk about Mark's banner bowl season thus far with just the one game to go, the championship game coming up on Monday. I've got Mark's bowl bonanza, and correct me if I'm wrong, at 7-3 ATS, 70%. And that includes, if I may, a 10-star game of the year winner on Michigan State, plus the points on Monday in the Red Box Bowl the five-star best bet winner on Wisconsin in the pinstripe ball, the four-star best bet winner outright on Oklahoma State in the Liberty Bowl, and the four-star outright winner on Baylor in the Texas Bowl. Mark, this has to be one of your better bowl seasons that we've seen in a long, long time. And since I bet Mark's plays, my bankroll is very happy as well. Well, thank you, Victor. And yes, it was a great bowl season for us. And it was capped off with that Michigan State Bowl win over Oregon. Unfortunately, that football game went to Michigan State, the favorite on game day. We wouldn't have released it. It was plus three on Friday. So we can only hope that all of our subscribers uh, bet the game when we released the play. And it was still a dog on Sunday. But the bottom line here is it's been a terrific bowl season for us. And in fact, the college, uh, the Playbook College Bowl stat report also hand-in-hand had another banner season or banner effort this year. In fact, I just did a tally, Victor, uh, before we come on to the show here, and all sides in the College Bowl stat report this year went 25-13 and 13 to the spread. That's 66% on the blind just for all sides, which was really, really nice. So, you know, 
effectively that seven and three bowl record we had came out of the majority of those 25 and 13 uh, situational sides in the bowl game. So another good job for the college football bowl stat report, the college bowl games. And as you mentioned, Victor here, it's a little bit of a tear in the eye that uh, the bowl season comes to an end because when you're having fun, you hate to have the party end. Right. Uh, no question. <laughs> but unfortunately, all good things do come to an end. And, uh, you know, with that, let me pass along a couple of notes that uh, I've either tweeted out or have come across in the college bowl season that I think are noteworthy. Uh, number one, uh, we had discussed earlier on in uh, the show, I think it was after the first week of the bowl games, of how well college bowl teams that had the better record were doing out of the gate. They went 7-1 and one straight up and 6-2 and two to the spread the first eight games did bowl teams this year that had the better record. But my goodness, a complete reversal of fortune from that point thereafter. Uh, they ended up going 10-14 and 14 straight up and 4-20 and 20 against the spread. The remaining 24 games did teams that had better win percentages in bowl games. The bottom line tally is they went 17-15 and 15 straight up overall and 10-22 and 22 to the spread. So sometimes I think the lesson to be learned there is that what we see on the surface for appearance isn't always as, uh, as attractive as it appears to look. That's why it's very, very important to do your handicap and go deep into the numbers and don't let just the better team sway you into being a position or a side in a game. The other stat that uh, I tweeted out, and this to me is is most alarming, and in fact, uh, it, if I'm the commissioner of the Pac-12 conference, i got to rally my troops around here because uh, another effort like the Pac-12 put together this year, and they've done the last three years in bowl games, they might end up being a group of five conference rather than a power five conference. The Pac-12 in bowl games the last three years is 7-15 and 15 straight up, and three and nineteen against the spread. One of those three wins was Washington's huge backdoor comeback against Ohio State when they outscored the Buckeyes twenty to nothing in the fourth quarter to eke out a point spread cover. And in those twenty-two bowl games the last three years, the Pac twelve has won only one game by more than three points. Hence, I think it's time that we change the name of Pac twelve to Pathetic Twelve. <laughs> because that's exactly what they've been <laughs> in bowl games, 3-19 and 19 to the spread. Those are, Victor, our numbers that we talked about the MAC conference in their days when they were so right. poor in bowl games and finally got a little bit of their act together here. Well, guess what? There's a new dance partner on the floor, and it's the Pac-12 when it comes to bowl games. Those are kind of my notes of what I took out of the bowl season here. Any afterthoughts you had, Victor, on the bowl season this year? No, I would agree with you. Uh, the Mac can thank Ohio U for the at least one dominant Mac win. I agree with you in regards to the Pac-12. My uh, uh, irrelevant takeaway from the highlights of New Year's Day, and uh, I must have replayed this on YouTube a hundred times for my wife, was the introduction of the mascots prior to the Texas-Georgia game. And uh, UT mascot Bevo bull rushed Georgia's Uga, the uh, bulldog. <laughs> and if you saw that, he even got the flag for targeting. What a heck of a way to start that game. No, I didn't see that. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> I got to check that <laughs> out. Uh, <laughs> that was before the Texas Georgia game. Then you say, right? Right. Yeah. Yes, oh, indeed. wow. 
Oh, that was nice. All in all, it ended up being, a, like I say, at least in-house here, a good bowl season for the family here. And uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it. And we'll see what lessons we can learn from that. There are going to be a bunch of coaching changes, obviously, coming down the road in college football. We've seen some already. National football league side of things. There are some college uh, or some head coaching changes that uh, – will be definitely on the move here. We've seen uh, a bevy of firings. There have been seven head coaches that have been replaced since the beginning of the football season here. And, uh, you know, there's a rumor that uh, Mike McCarthy is going to end up either in Cleveland or at Arizona. A lot of people are after Mike McCarthy here. Uh, Victor, your take on the college or the National Football League head coaching changes that we're about to see. It happens every year. Six, seven, eight teams. Uh, a little bit surprising that it happened down here in South Florida, considering uh, it was a seven-win season for Adam Gase. But, uh, again, he's gone. He's one of the one-third of the teams in the NFL that will be looking for a head coach this season. I thought it was a little bit surprising that uh, Cleveland's on the short list to interview Adam Gase for their next head coach. Oh, we'll, see what happens. we'll see what happens yeah. there in Cleveland. They're already going to be setting interviews for uh, the two guys on the staff that enable Cleveland to have a really, really good second half of the NFL season. That would be both uh, Kitchens and Williams, the offensive and defensive coordinators, respectively. But again, we're into that time in the NFL where at least one-third of the teams are searching for a new coach, the new hot guy, the new offensive coordinator, and they could probably cross Lincoln Riley off their list, huh? Ex- extension uh, w- in Oklahoma. He just got yeah, an extension w- in Oklahoma. Oh, I didn't realize he got the extension yeah. before the show. So that being the yeah. case, uh, you know, maybe like, it might end up being a Manny Diaz type situation where, you know, he agrees to become a head coach and then re- uh, switches tracks and uh, stays right. with Miami to pick up that job. But if you signed a contract for an extension, that means for all intents and purposes, uh, he's out of the picture here. And, you know, you had mentioned Adam Gase and, uh, you know, I've been on the anti-Adam Gase bandwagon for a long while, and especially this football season here. And my goodness, if you take a look at uh, his body of work, he's, he was with the Miami Dolphins three seasons, 2016, 17, and 18. In their road games away from home, they were out yarded 25 of their 27 football games they played. Uh, it, it's a miracle that they that he lasted three years here in Miami here. And, you know, there's another uh, inside thing that we don't even know about with Adam Gaze, Victor, and it's the fact that so many of the best talented players in the team wanted out, have left the program, uh, demanded trades. Jarvis Landry went to the Browns, Nadatakum Sue out. Uh, on and on and on it goes with the Miami Dolphins. So I would be stunned, honestly, if anybody does hire Adam Gase. I think he's, to me, the epitome of what we call the Peter Principle, where he was a good offensive coordinator, supposedly a good offensive coordinator, who elevated himself to the role of a head coach, but was incompetent, couldn't handle that particular situation, and it, and it proved to be the case uh, with, with Adam Gase and the Miami Dolphins. But you know, the bottom line is, as you mentioned here, Victor, there will be coaching changes that will be coming about. Mike McCarthy will certainly be a head coach somewhere in the National Football League and will certainly be fine-tooth combing those hires as they happen in the course of the offseason here. One other quick note here, Victor, before uh, we turn it over, get into our college bowl game of the week when we're going to tear down the Alabama-Clemson National Championship game. This is a pretty nice, neat little stat here. And uh, My friends over at uh, profootballreference.com sent this out today, and uh, I tweeted it as well, and it's pretty interesting that uh, when the Indianapolis Colts this season started their year 1-5 and five, uh, and then 
went on to make the playoffs, the Colts have now are just uh, the second of 132 teams in the National Football League to make the playoffs after starting one and five to begin the football season. The only team that did that was Kansas City back in the 2015 season when they started out one and five. And ironically, what did Kansas City do after they made the playoffs? If they're going one and five, they opened up as a wild card on the road at Houston and beat the Texans 30 to nothing. (laughs) Uh, So I'm sure people at Indianapolis would love to see deja vu all over for the Colts again. But uh, still, all in all, a great job by the Colts. And uh, if you guys haven't out there got your hands on a copy of the Playbook Midweek Alert football newsletter this week, the Playbook newsletter has reverted to the Midweek Alert, and all of the games, are, are we break them down in real nice statistical and uh, analysis from a technical and fundamental standpoint. So get your copy, your hands on a copy of the Playbook Midweek Alert newsletter this particular week. Victor and I, we're going to tear down our college football game of the week when we get inside the college football national championship game between Alabama and Clemson. We've got that beauty and a whole lot more on tap to come here on Mark Lawrence against the spread. If your goal is to become a winner at sports wagering, then the all-new Sports Data University is just for you. You can learn responsible sports wagering in live classes and free courses from the world's sharpest sports wagering instructors, such as Mark Lawrence, Victor King, Andy Isco, and an array of other top experts. Join live classes and ask questions you want answers to. Listen, learn, and watch at Sports Data University. Visit today at sportsdata.com. That's Sports Data University, located at sportsdata.com. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence, along with Victor King, wishing you a happy new year for the 2019 year ahead. And with that, we're into our final Against the Spread podcast for this 2018 football season. It's time for our college football game of the week. And since there's only one game on tap, Victor, just like the Army-Navy game, I guess we'll tackle the college football national championship playoff game when Alabama and Clemson meet again for the fourth year in a row. Victor, your take on the Tide and the Tigers in the big championship game. Right, fourth year in a row and three out of four for the national championship. Indeed, Bama somewhere around a... What, six-point favorite in the game? The over-under line, as I'm seeing it, opened at 16.5. It's come down a full point to the current number of 59.5 as we record the podcast here on uh, Wednesday morning. In terms of season over-under records, Alabama 8-5 over-under. 63.9 average points in Alabama games this season. That included that very good number two scoring offense, putting up 47.7 points per game and an extremely well-scoring defense, allowing only 16.2 points per game. For Clemson, they were pretty much a middle-of-the-road over-under team, six overs, seven unders. Their scoring offense, 44.3. That was the fourth highest in the country this season. And they indeed had the number one scoring defense allowing only 12.9 points per game, number one in the country, only three last week in that uh, semifinal victory over at Notre Dame. 57.2 points per game is the average in Clemson games uh, this season. And, of course, in those numbers, we do not count their games against FCS opponents, 
only their games against uh, the FBS. In terms of uh, recent form, take a look at uh, Clemson, and their defense has been rocking it. They come into the national championship having gone under in four of their last five games. Of course, as I mentioned, they only allowed three points to Notre Dame, 10 to Pitt in their uh, season finale. They slipped a little bit against South Carolina, allowing 35. But in the two games prior to that, they allowed Duke to score only six, and then Boston College only seven. On the flip side, Alabama comes in, and it was a pretty high-scoring game there against Oklahoma, 79 points. It didn't quite go over the total, a little bit surprising when you see the two teams combined for 79, and it still didn't go over the total. That's because they set the bar really, really high, somewhere around 81, 82 points for that Alabama-Oklahoma game. And, of course, uh, prior to that, Alabama did go over against Georgia, against Auburn, and, no, they did not against Citadel. We don't count that in our stats. But what I do like is that Alabama is a high-scoring team on neutral sites. They've now gone 26 and two, that's 20 overs, six unders in their last 28 neutral site games. Nick Saban, yeah, despite last week's game going under by a couple of points, is still 16-7 and seven over under in bowl games. And in fact, Alabama is 6-1 and one to the over in January bowl games. For Clemson, they have gone under in five of their last seven bowl games overall but still 4-1 and one in January ball games, And uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, it's the fourth year in a row that these two teams are facing each other. Uh, last year in the Sugar Bowl, the game was pretty low scoring. Alabama 24-6 over underline was 47. It did go under by 17 points. But in those two previous national championship games, in which each team had a pretty decent passing quarterback, I might add, they both went over the total in 2017. Clemson 35 to 31, over underline was 51. The game went over by 15 points. And then again in 2016, Alabama 45 to 40, over under was 15 and a half. It went over by 30 points. And yeah, I do think that's significant. My first initial impression was this game under the total, but in the 48 hours that I've had to look at it, I'm kind of switching gears a little bit. And thinking that it might be a little bit more high scoring, you know, Alabama's defense has shown over its past two games that they, it can indeed be scored upon by top tier offenses like Clemson's. Alabama allowed Jake Fromm to throw for 301 yards. They allowed Kyler Murray to throw for 308 yards in that 45-34 semifinal victory. And despite winning both games, We'll, of course, note that Alabama did not cover the point spread in either. And yeah, I know we got a freshman quarterback there on the Clemson side, but he's Lawrence has been outstanding since becoming the full-time starter at quarterback. Uh, in that blowout last uh, few days ago against Notre Dame, he's shown he is capable of performing on the national stage. Uh, no uh, freshman jitters there, that's for sure. 27 out of 39 for three touchdowns and no interceptions. And, of course, uh, he and his sophomore running back, Travis uh, Etienne, will definitely enter next year among favorites to win the 2019 Heisman Trophy. I'm leaning over right now. That's at 59 and a half. 
Uh, based on the point spread and the over-under line mark, the predicted final score is Alabama 33, Clemson about 26 and a half points. I see a closer, tighter game, somewhere around 34 to 31, perhaps underdog. But at this stage of the game, I think we'll see a little bit more points than people think in the national championship game on Monday. Victor's going to lean over the total in the Clemson-Alabama game to look for a well-lit scoreboard in that football game as they meet for the fourth year in a row in the college football playoffs. And just that statement alone, to me, tells me that we need to have a tweak in the college football playoff formats. It's getting old hat when you find the same two teams playing year after year after year after year when it could be different. It could be different if we had six teams or eight teams in the playoffs. And I don't want to go on a political bandwagon here, but there's not a lot of enthusiasm in watching these games when you're finding the same two teams going toe-to-toe with one another each and every college football postseason here. When the playoffs began four years ago, there was a lot of excitement in the year. And when it came down to Ohio State uh, knocking out Alabama and making it to the championship game and then uh, taking on Oregon, and then Alabama has played all four years in the college football playoffs. That's a tip of the hat to Nick Saban on a great job that he's done for them that way. Alabama, obviously the number one team in the country here, undefeated. They were the number one team in the AP preseason poll, and have done a great job doing just that to retain that position here. The reason I mentioned the AP preseason poll is that number one ranked teams that begin the season that way that make it to the playoffs, or I should say the bowl games, they're just 6-13 and 13 to the spread when they take a 9-23 or better opponent. So those preseason number one ranked teams find it difficult to make it from start to finish with the money in hand as they cross the finish line. Nick Saban himself, just 12-12 and 12 to the spread in all bowl games. I'm a little bit surprised at that soft number, only 4-8 and eight to the spread when he's been a bowl favorite of six or more points. The Alabama defense, which appeared to be coming on uh, toward the end of the football season here, they were playing some pretty good defense. In their last six games, they had held three opponents to season low yardage marks, which is a lot of what we've come to expect from Alabama in the past. But the truth of the matter is they were gashed in their last two football games defensively. They coughed up 454 yards to Georgia and 471 yards to Oklahoma. Those are the two worst defensive efforts by Alabama this football season here. You put that on a parallel and you look at the Clemson Tiger defense, they come into this game having held their last two opponents to season low yardage marks, 248 and 200 yards. And in fact, Clemson has held nine opponents to either season low or second low yardage marks this season. Last year when Alabama beat up on Clemson and beat them in the semifinals 24-6, to that game represented the worst Offensive effort by a Dabo Swinney football team, both in total yards and in points scored. So you know he's got this revenge chip on his shoulder here that he would like to do something about. Uh, Dabo Swinney also in his career when he takes on undefeated opponents, he's 18-6 and six straight up in those games, 15-9 and nine to the number, 7-1 when taking points. Bottom line here to me is this is a revenge game with the football team in Clemson that uh, I think is worthy of being a national champion here. You, you, you kind of look at these championship games and ask yourself, uh, can both of these teams fill the role of a national champion? In this case, yes, either team could. They're undefeated. They're the two best teams in the country. 
college football got what it wanted when Clemson uh, paired itself with Alabama in this college football championship game. I'm going to lean to Clemson plus the points here, if for no other reason, just because of the Dabo winning revenge and the fact that this football team is loaded here. The big edge to Alabama is obviously the quarterback position with Tua Tagovailoa having experience. Uh, and Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, not he's a, he's a freshman here, so that edge could end up weighing heavily in Alabama's favor here. But when push comes to shove in championship games, I'm always looking to the defense, and Clemson's right now is top-notch. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Dirk and I, we're going to tear apart our NFL game of the week. We've got a big playoff game on tap. You're going to want to hear all about that. And we'll check out in Las Vegas with Andy Isco for our final Vegas vibe to find out what's going on and how everybody did in that Westgate Superbook contest as well. When we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook experts' picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. The only football newsletter in America devoted exclusively to NFL over-under totals. The Totals Tip Sheet is a must-read if you're serious about adding extra income to your bankroll this football season. Get exclusive insight on the overs and unders from Victor King, the NFL Totals Guru, at Playbook.com. The Totals Tip Sheet has got you totally covered this football season. It's the best reference source of its kind in the nation. Get your Totals Tip Sheet today at Playbook.com and enjoy the winners. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we go against the spread. And this is the final show for the 2018 football season here on the ATS football program. And with that, it's time for our NFL game of the week. And since we're down to the National Football League wild card round of playoffs, We've isolated what we think will be a beauty in the NFC conference when the Philadelphia Eagles take on the Chicago Bears. Victor, your take on the Eagles and the Bears in this big football playoff game this weekend. I'm glad you chose this game for our NFL game of the week. I say that because our most recent podcast numbers have come in, and lo and behold, we have more podcast listeners from the city of Philadelphia than any other city in the country. Way to go to our brothers and sisters there in Philadelphia. We're uh, pleased with those results. And we're pleased with the fact that the Eagles are back in the playoffs, too. The defending Super Bowl champions uh, with a great run in December. And uh, I did make that prediction way back in December uh, when they were on the outside looking in that if any team was going to crack the existing playoff structure, it would be the Eagles. We're glad they're back in it. I think they're in a game this week that they can not only cover the point spread, but win outright. I'll let you handle that side of it, Mark. But uh, the Bears open four and a half. They're somewhere around five and a half, six point favorite right now as we speak. Uh, more importantly for us over-under betters, it opened at a pretty key over-under number of 41 and a half. And that very first initial line move or push was a half point downward to the current number of 41 as we record the podcast. One thing I'll say about the time of this game is 
it seems a little maybe unfair to me that they made this game the Sunday late afternoon kickoff instead of the L.A. Chargers-Baltimore Ravens game. They made that one the Sunday early game. I think it's a little unfair to ask a West Coast team to travel all the way across the country and play in one of those early Sunday morning for them, body clock-wise, kickoffs. And that could definitely have an impact in that particular game. But again, we're here to talk about the Eagles and the Bears. And on the season, both teams had very similar over-under results. Eagles 7-9 and over-under. That included 5-3 and over-under in their road games this season, which averaged a combined 46.2 points per game. And for the Bears, right down the middle, 8-8 eight and eight over-under. That included 4-4 four and four at home. 45.6 points per game for Chicago when playing the role of host this season. The series has been pretty high scoring as of late. Four of the last five games have indeed gone over the total. Average line, 45.7. Average score, 50.6. So the average Bears-Eagles game has gone over by almost five points per game in the last five meetings. What impresses me about the Eagles is the fact that we touched on it briefly last week. Nick Foles has something in him that makes him a very, very good leader. It may not show up statistically. It may not show up physically. But he's got something that galvanizes this Philadelphia team. And a team that has uh, jump-started their offense, I might add. They've scored now 23 or more points in each of their last six games to end the season. Um He's got the, uh, Foles has got the team uh, trending over as of late in scoring offense. They were number 14 at 23.2 for the season. We do need to point out, though, however, that the Bears have uh, really toughened things up on defense as of late. In fact, Chicago closed the season 1-5 and five over under last six games. And in fact, each of their last four games in December went under the total and by a Big margin, too, of minus 15.5 points per game. In those last four games in December, they allowed only 10 points, only 9 points, only 17 points, and only 6 points for this fantastic Chicago team. A team that I might add is the first defense in 12 years now to record 50 or more sacks and 25 or more interceptions uh, in a game. I started running some of our uh, preliminary over-under situations in the database this morning, and most of them come up with maybe a few more points than people expect, and that's the way I'll lean to start things off. First off, NFC East versus NFC North playoff games between these two divisions have gone a perfect 4-0 and to the over in the last three seasons, going over by an average of plus 7.6 points per game. This is also one of those games that's uh, in the dead zone in terms of the point spread. Uh, three out of the four wild card games are somewhere around, you know, minus two to minus three points, which is not surprising. But this is one of those games in which uh, it's in the dead zone. And I consider the dead zone any NFL game in which the home team is favored by more than three, but less than seven points. That dead zone of about three and a half to six and a half points. And uh, we've got eight and one last three years, all NFL playoff games in which the home team is favored by three and a half to six and a half points, like the Bears indeed are in this particular game. Of course, the Eagles off that big shutout win to close the season 
against Washington last week. NFL playoff teams off a shutout win have gone 23-11 and over under all time, and that includes 6-1 and to the over in the last 10 years. I also ran a query for Chicago and the fact that they allowed 10 or less points to close the season. NFL home favorites in the last 10 years who allowed 10 or less points in each of their last two games have gone a perfect 6-0 and to the over. It looks like uh, weather will not be a factor uh, this week in uh, any of the four NFL playoff games. Nothing higher than about nine miles per hour in terms of winds. It looks like clear, partly cloudy forecast. Weather will actually it looks pretty balmy for Chicago uh, this time of year. 40 to 45 degrees, only seven mile per hour winds. So that won't be a factor this week anyway. We're leading over Eagles and the Bears. Four to six more points perhaps. In the current over-under line of 41. And uh, I think you might agree with me that uh, we've got probably a live dog here as well, Mark. Well, you know, I know Victor's going to lean over the total here, as he says, in this football game. And, uh, you know, as I look at the football game itself, and uh, I, I can make a case for Philadelphia being live in the sense that this is not the same Philadelphia Eagle football team that we've seen all season long. Uh, in our report on our midweek alert report this week, we talk about the fact that coming into this game, this defensively staunch Chicago Bear football team is outgaining its opponents over 51 yards a game over the second half of the football season. On the flip side, the Philadelphia Eagles have been outgained 45 yards a game in the second half of the football season here. That's a 95-yard disparity favoring the Chicago Bears in the football game, which would put me normally on alert alarm in this football game. My reason that I'm throwing it out there with an asterisk is the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles are now as healthy as they've been all season long defensively. Uh, They were without most of their starters all season long on defense here. A very, very banged up football team, but they've got the majority of those starters back right now. They came back for Washington last week, and they'll be back for this football game. We saw what they did against Washington last week. When they blanked the Redskins, not only blanked them 24 to nothing, they held them to 89 yards, uh, which also indicates that maybe this football team is a team that nobody wants to meet in the playoffs, given the fact that Nick Foles has come off the bench and spurred this race to the playoffs with three straight wins in a row, having been there as a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. All good stats for the Philadelphia Eagles in this contest here. A couple of negative stats that we see from our database for the Philadelphia Eagles is the fact that, as Victor mentioned here, uh, they do come off a shutout victory here. NFL football teams that are playing off a shutout win are 2-9 and nine straight up and 0-8 oh and eight straight up in ATS off shutout wins against opponents coming off of a win when they're on the road as the Philadelphia Eagles. The other detractor for Philadelphia here is the fact that uh, wild card teams that open up the wild card round on the road off a season ending road game as the Philadelphia Eagles did they're just 19 and 43 straight up 22 37 and 3 to the spread dating all the way back to 1980 that's a very very difficult role for teams that are on the road in the wild card coming off a a, a road game to end the football season here but you know when you look at stuff on the surface here, and I say, and I keep pounding this home because when you look at stuff on the surface, it's never really what it is until you dig down deep into it. And those very same teams that are on the wild card road that ended the season on the road 
if they happen to be a division road dog, a division road dog in the wild card round, they're eight and five to the spread. So they're really uh, being in a division game here might end up being fortuitous to Philadelphia here. The bottom line to me, guys, is you can make cases for both sides of this football game. The Chicago Bears come into this contest here on this nine and one straight up and point spread run. This is their first playoff game since 2010, so it ends up being a step-up game for the Bears. They've allowed the fewest points in the league this year. But the Bears have also struggled against the NFC East. The last nine games, the Chicago Bears have played against NFC East teams. They've lost all nine games straight up, 1-8 and eight against the spread. I'm going to sit back, watch, and enjoy this football game and not take a side in the contest here because I think this is one of these games that you can make cases for both sides of a football game and in doing just that, sometimes you have to oftentimes put the whole sign up, sit back, watch, and enjoy the game for what it is. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, let's hop out to Las Vegas and check in with the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, happy 2019 to you and yours. I hope you weren't out partying too hard on New Year's Eve this past holiday week. Well, Mark and uh, Victor and all to our listeners, a very happy, healthy, and prosperous 2019 wishes from me to all of you. And uh, to your point, no, I was uh, uh, safely home and uh, relaxing and watching all the festivities on TV. I actually uh, I had a nice excuse because I did have to uh, appear on uh, – I had a, a, a show on uh, VSIN uh, yesterday morning, New Year's morning at 7 a.m., Pacific time. So uh, that made sure that I was going to get a nice amount of sleep so I could sound somewhat intelligent. Uh, but had I not had that appearance, I still would have been at home as I've been for quite a number of years. I've, I've enjoyed some of the uh, spectacles, both downtown Las Vegas and on the strip on New Year's Eve years ago. So I've had my fill and now it's uh, much nicer, especially with our temperatures in the 30s over the last few days uh, in the overnight hours. I was very comfortable and got set to enjoy what was a very entertaining New Year's Day slate of uh, bowl games. I uh, didn't have as much fun as the winner of the Super Contest, who earned a nice $1.4 million and capped it off in style, as I'm sure we'll talk about momentarily, going 5-0 and on the final week of the regular season, which is, in my mind, and we've talked about it before, the most challenging week of all 17 weeks of the NFL season. You know, Andy, you talk about that, and Victor and I hit on this a little bit at the beginning of the show about, obviously, you know, you have to have that lady luck with you, and especially down the stretch, and you almost always have to do well the final week or couple weeks of the football season. But uh, I, I think the lesson to be learned in this, in this, in the contest like this, is it's also vitally important to really pay attention early on each and every week of the contest because. You see so many people in this contest, Andy, that uh, maybe slipped uh, a game or two the final week of the season, and their positioning fell maybe two or three or five or ten spots. But those two or three or five or ten spots is huge money in a contest like this. And uh, so uh, I think the lesson to be learned is that it's important that when you apply yourself to the contest to make sure you approach it as a business and give your best effort each and every week. No, that's exactly right. And in fact, the difference between someone going three and two in week 17 versus four and one, you know, that could be worth uh, several thousands of dollars for that person who went three and two and slipped uh, a little bit further. Or maybe maybe the better way of saying it is the difference between going three and two and two and three for someone who's already highly up in the contest. Say even in the top 10, you could fall a good 15, 20 spots with 3000 people uh, in, in that contest. And uh, uh, to your point, the interesting part about week 17 is also the game 
game theory, the game strategy. What strategy do people use as far as are you in position – if you're in position to win or get a very nice payday, do you try to protect your position? Do you try to move up your in the, in the standings or do you just try and say, you know what, I'm going to pick my five best games, go 5-0. and oh. Whether my challengers or other contenders have those five or against me, I don't care. If I go 5-0, and oh, I'm not going to do any worse than, uh, than, than had I made any other strategy because you can't do better than 5-0. and oh. So a lot of strategy comes into Week 17, not just in this contest, but in the other contests as, uh, as well. Even, even they have this one contest that Station Casinos puts out uh, called the Great Giveaway. It's a, it's a low-end contest, and one of the unique features of this contest, and this goes back over 40 years, is they have a prize that's been called Fiddle in the Middle. And basically it's, I think, something like $200,000 that gets chopped up amongst all the contestants who have exactly a 50-50 record over the course of the season. I, be the, I, I believe that there are something like 270 selections. So if you go 135 and 135, you share in that prize pool. And several thousand people will share in that prize pool. Okay, uh, And by the way, this is a straight-up contest, not against the spread. But the point is, even if you are in position in, in week 16 where you are perfectly at 500, you now have to try and go and pick 500 over the final week of the season, those final 16 games. And that's a lot more difficult than you think. Some people say, oh, I'm going to pair up. Well, I'm going to pick this team that's surely going to win against this other team that's surely going to lose, and I'll go one and one. That achieves that goal. But we've seen the randomness and the craziness with how some of these NFL games have ended. I mean, now this was a straight-up situation, but it could have easily applied to a point spread situation. Look at that game between the Giants and Dallas. The straight-up winner came down to a made or missed two-point conversion by the Dallas Cowboys uh, late in that contest. And we've seen point spread situation games turn up that way as well. You know, you don't have too many 31-0 Detroit Lion upset wins over Green Bay where the point spread is never in doubt. So uh, game theory, contest theory is very interesting, and I've heard a number of many different approaches, some of which agree with, some of which I disagree with, but all of which made sense in the mind of the person who expressed those theories to me. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, recapping the Superbook contest here. And, Andy, I guess there's somebody out there that might be a new millionaire this year, although I read in the Visa newsletter this morning that he says, don't call me a millionaire because after the taxes and after the state of California takes their haul, I'm more like an $800,000 error. <laughs> you know, but the bottom <laughs> line is that <laughs> there was a lot of money that was dispersed out there. What's your, uh, what you saw, Andy, as far as the payouts were concerned in the contest this year? Yeah, by the way, that uh, con contestant's uh, pseudonym in the contest was uh, Personal Gourmet. And whereas he might only be an 800,000 heir right now, that will stake him for some nice investment so he could quickly become a millionaire uh, within a very short period of time if he uh, invests uh, that amount wisely. Uh, speaking of the contest, let me finish first with the – or start uh, first with the finish to the Super Contest Gold. That's the $500,000 Winner-take-all contest. The consensus in the final week was 4-1. and one. For the year, the gold contest uh, had 128 entries, so a $640,000 payout. 47, 34, and 5. That actually works out to 86 selections because one of the latter weeks, there were two selections tied for a fifth spot in the consensus. That still works out to a very solid 57.6% for the Super Contest Gold contestant. Uh, the winner had a record of 55, 27, and 3. That works out to 56 and a half of 85 possible points or 66.5% success rate. Uh, as far as the um, 
the other contestants. This is a point that I make for people who are contemplating uh, playing in the Super Contest Gold, for example, next season, that if you play in the Super Contest Gold, you should back it up with an entry in the regular Super Contest, the $1,500 Super Contest, because if you finish second in the Super Contest Gold, you get zero. Yet, most likely, if you have a record good enough to finish second in the Super Contest Gold, you're going to cash in the regular Super Contest. And to that point, those who finished second through fifth in the Super Contest Gold would indeed have cashed in the regular Super Contest, even though there were over 31 entrants in the regular Super Contest. In fact, if you finished second in the Super Contest Gold, you got nothing. But if you played those same entries, or those same selections with an entry in the regular Super Contest, you would have been in a paying position that paid $54,000 to those who finished in 12th through 15th in the regular contest. The third place finisher in Super Contest Gold would have earned slightly under $15,000. The fourth place finisher would have earned almost $7,000, which would have been a slight profit because you're talking now about a $6,500 investment, 5000 for the Gold, 1500 for the Super Contest Classic. So you would have made a few hundred dollars there. Even if you finished in fifth place, uh, you would have only gotten $3,800 back uh, f uh, for your finish in the regular Super Contest. So you would have lost $2,700 by paying $6,500 and collecting $3,800, but still, collecting $3,800 is uh, and losing $2,700 is better than losing $5,000. So if you are considering Super Contest Gold, uh, certainly give serious consideration, especially if you think you're uh, on the verge of having a very good year. Of course, we all think that going in, but nonetheless, uh, give that serious consideration. Now, as far as the regular Super Contest goal, uh, goes, rather, the Super Contest Classic, uh, the winner did have a record of 59-25-1. That's 59.5 points out of 85. That works out to exactly 70.0% success rate. So we did see that come down over the course of the season, but 70% is very solid. In fact, if you had a uh, success rate of 66.5%, that's what it took to earn a six-figure payday. There were four contestants who, share, who each got $147,000 for finishing in spots six through nine. Overall, if you hit 62 0.35, by the way, that 66.47% works out to 56.5 out of 85 possible points. If you had 53 out of the 85 possible points, that's 62.4%. Uh, those people all cashed $2,267 for their $1,500 entry fee, so about a 50% return on their investment. And actually, they pay the top 100, and through the year, I've been reporting the fact that uh, uh, some people tied for that final playing, paying spot or several. Turns out this year, 23 people tied for the final 23 paying spots, so they all got what was the projected full share for uh, uh, those final 23 spots uh, split up between those who finished in the second uh, pay category versus the final pay category. As to the results and how uh, the contestants fared, the consensus went 4-1 and one in this final week, and for the year that put them at 44-40-1. and one considerably less than the more selective field of 128 contestants in the gold contest. That works out to still just about break-even, 52.35% uh, counting. the. It's actually 52.39 if you throw out the uh, the push because you don't have any, any money involved in those transactions. 44 and 40 is exactly 11 to 10. Uh, as far as favorites go, when the contestants were on the favorite side in games this year, uh, they were uh, hitting at 46%. Uh, 
Underdogs, when they were the more popular side, those came in at 55%, and actually 100 of the 256 select games selected in the contest, the more popular side was the underdog. Pickums were 2-1. and one. Overall for the year, the 3,140-plus contestants, 124 correct selections, 124 incorrect selections, eight games ended in pushes. So the field of 3,100 contestants overall was 50% for the season. Quite a year it was in the Westgate Superbook Contest. We're visiting with Andy Esco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And, Andy, i got to throw this note in there for our listeners out there that uh, my partner and I, Tony DiMarzio from Philadelphia, we ended up being part of that group that went 14-1 to close out the football season here in the contest and involved us from 362nd place to 16th place in the contest. So, you know, the I would say the football gods were with us to say the least in the contest. And uh, it goes back to my point at the beginning of our conversation about how vitally important and critical one game can mean in the contest. You know, one game can mean a uh, difference of finishing 16th. It can mean finishing the top 10. It can mean finishing just barely making the top 100 cut uh, being what it was uh, that way with the Superbook contest this year. And Andy, one other question here before I get to our complimentary play for the final week on the show here. The Golden Nugget, how did everything shake out in the Golden Nugget this way with Tony Miller? I know his uh, amount of entries were up substantially this year, and a good friend of mine, Paul Stone, had the lead for a long while, but I think surrendered it down the end of the stretch. How did things shake out at the Golden Nugget in their contest? Yeah, let me, by the way, congratulate you and Tony, because also you mentioned that 14-1 and finish down the stretch. That also earned you a share of the uh, mini contest, the $15,000 mini contest prize that the Westgate offers uh, for the final three weeks of the season, which is a way of uh, uh, retaining interest for those who may be having bad seasons and sort of give up after week 10 or 11. Well, they uh, spend the next couple of weeks uh, putting their minds together, and they got a chance if they have a, a final three weeks that had was, that you had, 14-1, and one, you share in the contest. There have been a couple of years when it's been 13-2 and two that has claimed that prize, and other years, 15-0 uh, and 0 has done it. 14-1 and one is a tremendous accomplishment, especially in this season where we saw a little bit more parity than we've seen in recent years, especially at the top where we had no team win more than 13 games this season. The finish in the Golden Nugget contest was extremely excited because there were four people closely bunched coming into the weekend or coming into this fast weekend. It actually extended through uh, New Year's day uh, there were four contestants within uh, two and a half points of the lead entering uh, this week uh, the contestant in fourth place went six and one had to feel pretty good about his chances to possibly uh, take the lead in the contest however the contestant who finished third also went six and one the contestant who started the week in second went six and one and the leader of the contest going into the weekend also went six and one and an incredible finish for the Golden Nuggets. So the standings, I believe, and they've not been posted officially yet, but just doing the, the legwork, uh, a contestant by the name of Monster Lock ended up with a record of 81-36-2 and two, uh, for an outstanding season, including that 6-1 and one finish. Uh, you mentioned our friend Paul Stone. Uh, he finished, I believe, in third. There was another contestant uh, who was a half point ahead of him, finished a half point ahead of him, and another uh, friend of ours, uh, Brad Powers, uh, finished in fourth. I believe those are the official standings, but a tremendous season uh, for those who uh, finished at the top of the standings in the uh, Golden Nugget contest. And in fact, I'm just uh, getting my notes out here. The 82, the 82 points out of the potential 119 available points, if uh, someone had been perfect every week, works out to, uh, bear with me just one second here, 
68.9%, so slightly under 70%. An outstanding season for all those in the Golden Nugget contest. And as I recall, there were slightly over 300 entries in that contest this year. Uh, that contest carries a $1,000 entry fee for those who may be interested next year and involves college and NFL sides. Wow, quite a quite a contest at the Golden Nugget. Sounds like it was really a quite a strong competition here. Required a higher percentage to make the money there than it did the Westgate, but uh, a little bit more money, obviously, in the Westgate contest because of the amount of contestants in the contest. Victor, I know before Andy gets to his complimentary play on the show this week, you've got a final question you'd like to run by him on the show this week as well. Just want to get Andy's impressions on the Saturday NFL wildcard games. It looks like there's uh, some action coming in on the dogs, Andy. Both Houston and Dallas opened up somewhere, I don't know, two-and-a-half, three-point home favorites, and they're down to like one, one-and-a-half. It looks like some uh, interesting dog money in the first round, particularly on Saturday. Yeah, it's very interesting, Victor. In fact, uh, contrast this to last year when all four uh, home teams were rather solid favorites in the wild card round. Three of the four favorites this year all opened and currently remain at under a field goal. And as you point out, uh, Dallas and Houston have actually seen their favoritism go down with support coming in for Indianapolis, which is certainly understandable. The hottest team coming in to the playoffs. Starting 1-5, the Colts went 9-1 and one down the stretch, 10-6. and six. Uh, They do have a slightly weaker record than Houston. Interestingly, Houston and Indianapolis split their two divisional games this year, each winning by three points exactly on the road. Of course, uh, Houston's win at Indianapolis, a little bit uh, controversial decision, a coaching strategy by uh, uh, Frank Reich, the Indianapolis Colts uh, coach. Uh, Indianapolis got the uh, revenge a little bit later. Dallas and Seattle, they played also earlier this season, as did Baltimore and the L.A. Chargers. And to your point, the Dallas and Houston games both opened uh, with the, those hosts favored by two and a half. And I'm seeing several instances of the lines down as low as one and a half. I'm seeing actually. I'm showing one offshore place that has uh, uh, the uh, uh, Houston Texans down to a one point. That's uh, one of the major, if not the major, offshore place with some nice vig attached. But that's how popular these underdogs have been. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, before I let you go, as you head off into the 2019 season with the NFL playoffs and the college football championship bowl game just ahead, your complimentary play on this weekend's card for our listeners, if you will. Well, I'm going to go to the uh, uh, game between Seattle and Dallas, but I'm going to look at the total in this game. And if you look back over the years, these teams have met something like six times, including earlier this season, I have Dallas and Seattle all under the same head coaches, Jason Garrett of Dallas and Pete Carroll of Seattle. Five of those six games have stayed nicely under the total, and I'm going to look for this contest to stay under the total as well. In most of these years, Seattle has had an outstanding defense, and Pete Carroll may have done his best job this year in rebuilding that Seattle defense somewhat on the fly this year. That was considered to be a potential weakness for the Seahawks coming into the season, but they've played as well as anybody. The numbers don't look good because of their sluggish start to the season, but they ended up playing some outstanding defense and Dallas's defense was markedly improved this year and they were very consistent throughout the year I mean you needn't look no further than the Dallas Cowboys late in the season on that Thursday night game holding that potent New Orleans Saints offense to just 10 points so I'm going to look for this game to stay under the total despite the fact that the total which opened at 41 and a half has already been bet up to 43 and in fact that move came very very early 
in the betting cycle. Wondering if that might be a situation of those wise guys. Well, it doesn't take that much money early in the week to move a total a half point or so. So it's not a huge investment to get the public to think that this game is going to go over and that the Sharps are waiting to see how high this total gets before coming back. Because intrinsically, especially with both teams having outstanding running games, Seattle, uh, I think, leading uh, second, uh, first or second, I don't have the numbers in front of me, in the NFL and rushing. Dallas also very highly up there. When you run the ball as a significant part of your offense it lessens the number of possessions runs the clock obviously doing the same thing therefore lessens the opportunity for score so i'm going to look for the seattle dallas game by the way the game does not go under the game stays under it starts under and it stays under and i'm going to look for the seattle dallas game to stay under that total that is currently 43 i like that andy isco uh, ivy league grad grammatically stating that a game does not go go over and under. under, it stays under is what it does. And he's going to stay under the total in this football game between Dallas and Seattle. <clears throat> One other note Andy threw in there about the rushing for Seattle. Since game three of the season here, guys, Seattle's running the ball for 173 yards a game. So their rushing game is really spot on. Andy, I'm going to wish you the best of luck in the 2018 football season ahead. We'll look forward to getting back with you when March Madness comes when we're going to get back for a couple of shows during March Madness. I'll look forward to having you join us for another take on the Vegas Vibe in Las Vegas. Well, thanks very much, Mark. And let me just go back and say Seattle did lead the league at 160 rushing yards per game. Dallas was number 10 at 123, largely due to Ezekiel Elliott. And by the way, just following up that, uh, we've had uh, uh, Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Cowboys, and Dak Prescott uh, for the uh, uh, Russell Wilson for the Seahawks, Prescott for the Cowboys, and both of those contribute to those fine running games. And let me wish you, Victor, again, and all the listeners a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2019. And I'll look forward to hooking up once again in the uh, middle of March Madness. Likewise, Andy, great job on the show this year as always. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I are going to put the final wraps on the show with our awesome angle and our final takes on this upcoming playoff card. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed that's my bookie.a as an apple and g as in games tell them mark lawrence sent you only the biggest only the best only at mybookie.ag sign up today and now the moment you've been waiting for from the hot south florida sun it's mark lawrence with his awesome angle of the week all right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week. We call it Egg on My Face. And it goes to our comment earlier on the Chicago Bear-Philadelphia Eagle game as we look to play against any NFL away team in the playoffs if they're coming off a shutout win. We play against these guys because by playing against them, we're 8-2 and two against the spread. That's 80% with these teams with egg on their face. The play is against the Philadelphia Eagles when they take on the Chicago Bears in their playoff game on Sunday. And with that, Victor, uh, if you would, let our listeners know what you've got on tap at King Creole Sports this weekend and your thoughts on the upcoming NFL playoff card and how we should handle the playoffs from a King Creole perspective. 
Right, Mark. We're making the transition into the NBA. We're uh, pleased right now, 12-7 and NBA over-unders, and that included a really nice Christmas, excuse me, New Year's Eve winner on the Pelicans over the total in their game against the Timberwolves. So 12-7 and in the NBA as we make the transition to NBA over-unders. And uh, a query I ran in our database while we were talking in the Andy segment, uh, what uh, got my interest up was the fact that, you know, I was talking about, uh, I think, the one scheduling unfair advantage to Baltimore this week of the wildcard weekend was the fact that they're giving them a one o'clock Eastern kickoff on Sunday and they're forcing a team to travel across three time zones, in this case, the L.A. Chargers to play Baltimore. I know L.A. Uh, perhaps the better overall football team in this particular game, Mark, not to mention the fact that they're playing with pretty quick revenge from just a few weeks ago when Baltimore went into L.A. and manhandled the Chargers. However, in our database, what I researched was any team that plays their home games in a West division, how do they do when they're traveling on the road in the playoffs and they're playing any other division in the NFL except another West Division team. And that would apply this week to Seattle, who's on the road playing the Dallas Cowboys, and, of course, to the L.A. Chargers, who are on the road playing Baltimore. And just from an ATS perspective, this jumped out at me since the 2009 season. These West Division road teams have gone 3-6, have gone 2-10 and 10 ATS on the road since 2009. That tells me to put up a little bit of a red caution flag if you're thinking about playing Seattle this week or if you're thinking about playing the L.A. Chargers, who I know are playing with revenge. Those teams have gone 2-10 and 10 ATS in the last 10 years when they take to the road in the playoffs and play any other division except the fellow West Division opponent. It just kind of jumped out at me, and I ran the query during Andy's segment. So there you go. We'll call it a couple of leans to a couple of home teams in both Dallas and Baltimore this weekend. Uh, our King playoff package, we went 6-2 and two in the playoffs last year. That'll be available at playbook.com, not to mention the NBA. And, of course, a very, very happy New Year to all of our listeners, our fans out in Philadelphia. We're also well represented in California as well. It uh, looks like L.A., San Jose, San Francisco, and not to mention Las Vegas. So we've got a lot of people out there on the West Coast that like listening to our podcast as well. And to everybody, Mark, and yourself and Colleen, a very happy new year. Well, thank you, Victor. Same to you, Sandy, and the dogs, the family as well. Happy New Year to you and yours. Victor King from King Creole Sports. Be sure to follow him online at playbook.com where he's done an outstanding job in the playoffs over the years, you don't want to miss any of the King Creole plays this postseason here. Just a quick note here before I put the final wraps on the show here. The Playbook Football Newsletter will be uh, making its debut this Friday at the Playbook.com website. And check out the Playbook.com website because there's going to be a special involving the Playbook Basketball Newsletter this Friday here. And what it's going to involve basically is getting the basketball newsletter for relatively at no charge. And the way you'll be able to do that is you'll be awarded $100 in playbook tokens when you subscribe to the basketball newsletter. You can check out all the details online at playbook.com beginning this Thursday for the 2019 hoops season. Nobody covers basketball like playbook. 
the Playbook Basketball newsletter available this Friday at playbook.com. In addition, my NFL playoff package, my special package, is also up and available right now. It will include every release I make from now to the Super Bowl game, including our wildcard playoff game of the year this weekend and our NFL playoff game of the year. We've had an outstanding 12-3 and winning season on big game plays this year. Check it out, the details online at playbook.com or online in the store at playbook.com for our NFL playoff special package offer. Before I get to the final closing of the show here, a reminder that we will be coming back for our March Madness special edition for two or three shows in the month of March. You want to put that on your calendar. We'll look forward to handicapping March Madness with you here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. When it comes to handicapping these football games, just one little note I want to throw out here to our listeners out there. Keep this thought in mind that everybody thinks that when you pick the straight-up winner of a game, you're oftentimes going to have the point spread winner. And more times often than not, that works out true. But if you subtract the straight-up underdog winners from the straight-up favorite winners, you end up having quite a battle to do with the odds maker here. And in that case, straight-up favorite winners in the playoffs cover less than straight-up favorites do in the regular course of the season. 3% less. And if 3% doesn't sound like much to you, when you're talking about thousands and thousands of football games, 3% can be a living for the rest of your life. So be careful when it comes to handicapping these football playoff games. Don't just look at the better team and look for the straight-up winner here because you could end up getting yourself in trouble. That's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread for the 2018 football season. We've had a blast being with you all season long. We'll look forward once again, like I say, to coming back with you in March for our March Madness against the spread podcasts. For our co-host Victor King from King Thrill Sports, Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, and our good friend Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.